Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast, your weekly roundup of the biggest news and best action in Bailiwick sports. Coming up today in what should have been Island Games Week, we'll hear from the chairman of the International Island Games Association, Jorgen Pettersen, about how the rest of the Games family is faring and what he thinks the biggest challenge the organisers of Guernsey 2023 face. After a tough week for Heather Watson at Wimbledon, we'll speak to a man who's been following her career for many years about what impact it might have on her and how she's approaching her third Olympic Games next month. Plus, following on from our countdown of Guernsey's greatest domestic footballers, we'll find out what's in store as we embark on Guernsey Cricket's Top 100. I'm Tony Kerr, and with me to do all that is Gareth Lebrevo. Hi, Tony. Jamie Ingrill. Hi. And Harry Jones. Hello. Pod debut for Harry, uh, who's with us uh, for a few weeks this summer. Welcome to the pod, Harry. Oh, thanks. Happy to be here. Great to see you all. Um, let's start with some highlights of the week. Uh, well, first of all, apologies for the lack of show last week. I escaped to Herm for a couple of nights. The tan has already faded. I don't know who signed that one off, to be honest. We shouldn't allow you to go anywhere. <laughs> um, let's come to you, Gareth, first. What was your pick of the, the recent Yeah, well, I can probably narrow it down to sort of about two or three seconds of action when Adam Wakeford um, flung himself through the air to take an absolutely astonishing catch at the KG5 in, um, in the big top-of-the-table clash last weekend. Griffin's um, uh, beating Independence in the clash of the two unbeaten sides in the evening league. But, um, yeah, in the evening league this season, top flight, the fielding's been a real mixed bag. And I must admit, Griffins were absolutely brilliant on, on Saturday last. They took some great catches. I mean, Luke Bishard took one, which I thought would take some beating for catch for the season. And then a few overs later, Adam Wakeford decides to sprint about 30 yards to his right and then dive and catch this flat six that was just heading over the, the boundary. And it was just an amazing catch. And... Um, it was a very fitting game for what was a sort of top-of-the-table clash. Even though it was low scoring, it was real seesaw. And, um, yeah, Griffins, to be fair to them, they, they had to defend a low score and they did it really well. Yeah, fantastic. And actually, that catch did come at a crucial time as well, didn't it? it- yeah, well, Tom Nightingale, who's sort of like a real danger man for Indies, he was just starting to get going and he was timing the ball as well as anybody on the day, to be honest. And um, if he'd have stayed in for another... Even until the end of that over, I think that was the first ball of the 18th over, um, it would have been probably a very different story because he was getting hold of a few and that was going for a flat six for sure. And um, yeah, Adam just almost, I don't quite know how he got there to start with, but to get there and then take the catch was, um, if he'd have just parried it back in and saved sort of five runs, it would have been a great effort. But to take the catch and get rid of the danger man was... Uh, uh, basically the, the decisive moment of the game. And it has been a pretty good couple of weeks for, for Griffins. Obviously, they sealed the weekend championship. Stolen a march now in uh, even League One as well. Um, yeah, formidable side at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I do think Griffins are actually far more suited to the weekend cricket. Um, they're certainly more of a, a grass track side. They've got um, a decent array of slow bowlers. Certainly, Adam Martel's just been selected for the Ireland training squad because of his left arm spin this season. Uh, people like Tom Kirk and uh, Luke Letitia always bowl very well. Um, so, yeah, I, it wasn't a big surprise. I don't think that they won the weekend championship. Indies were, I think, favourites for the evening league. And I think they're a bit more suited to it if you look at their squad list. But to be fair to Griffins, they played really well and they, they rose to the occasion on that one. But in saying that, there's still a few games to go. And, and in evening league and T20 cricket, if one or two people come off on the night... Um, it can it can cause an upset and Griffins won't they certainly shouldn't be taking anything for granted and they've still got a few more um, dangerous sides to face before they even contemplate sort of completing a double 
Well, you can uh, watch some of the highlights from that uh, Griffin's victory over Indies in this week's Cricket Catch-Up. Uh, it's on our YouTube uh, channel, Guernsey Press YouTube channel. You can find the link uh, via uh, the Guernsey Press Sport Twitter, at GSY Press Sport. I also uh, spoke to uh, the relatively new chairman of the GCB, Carl Johnson, uh, about his thoughts on taking on the role and, and what he's looking to, uh, to, to put into cricket from his uh, rugby background, a former Siam Cup winning captain so yeah check that one out uh jamie what's your pick of the week oh yeah me personally it's been the start of a mountain bike tour of guernsey we've actually got a record turnout this year and it seems to be one of these events which is sort of really capitalized on lockdown a bit of uncertainty over the summer and we've just got a huge number of riders committed um 130 on the entry list i believe which is quite impressive uh I believe the previous record was about 100, and that was last year. So it's been a real uptick in interest. But um, yeah, we've had a few very wet and miserable-looking opening stages. That has not really put the riders off. I've been impressed by how many of them have stayed upright, because there's been some fast downhill-type stages. Uh, Rone Quarry on Monday was a very exciting one to watch. It's what they call a dot hill. So... In case that's not self-descriptory enough, you go down, then you go up. Um, and you go down quite a long way and come up quite a long way. Yes, yeah. But it's an event with good spectator appeal. And yeah, it's nice to see it being so successful. Yeah, fantastic. And a couple more rounds to go towards the end of the week and it finishes on Sunday? Yeah, it finishes on Sunday with a cross-country. Um, in terms of the race for overall honours, it's been quite interesting. Uh, James Rowe, sort of a top mountain biker, I think a lot of people would agree on that. His, he's given himself a bit of a handicap by falling off his bike on the first day. Uh, nothing too serious, but he did lose a lot of positions. He's sort of really playing catch-up in like quite a competitive experts category. Yeah, potentially so, then quite an exciting conclusion. I think, yeah, if, like, if he wins it, it'll be towards the end of the week and he's like keep getting good results in every stage. Yeah. Harry, I know you've been out doing a couple of bits and pieces for us already uh, and mixing it with some coaching as well at the weekend. <laughs> yeah, so I was at the BWCI on um, Sunday. It was a two-day event, although I was only there on Sunday afternoon for the competitive action. And I know the format's changed a little bit uh, since I played quite a few years ago now because it used to be a, a two-day event at Foots Lane just for year fives and some select year fours. But now you had the year, uh, year twos, threes, fours and fives all involved. Obviously, as I said, the year fives were uh, playing in the competitive event uh, for the Shield and the plate on Sunday afternoon. It did used to have the academies in it, obviously. You can't do that post-COVID and the Jersey team. So it gave, it gave an opportunity for Guernsey teams to go and win it. And uh, Rangers became only the second Guernsey team to ever win the Shield competition. Uh, they beat North in the final. I think it was the week of the two North teams who managed to beat North's strongest team in the semi-final to um, overcome the odds and uh, get to the grand final. And Rangers did go and win it. Uh, St. Martin's won the plate, which I was a bit involved in. So I'd like to say my coaching magic sort of worked. <laughs> but um, in truth, it probably was more the players. But yeah, it was, it was um, for what it was, it was at Victoria Avenue this year. It used to be at um, Foots Lane, which obviously offers a bit of a different uh, spectacle. But I thought it was a really well-run event, again, by the GFA. And it had a great sort of festival feel to it, I thought. Yeah, awesome. And you were saying um, to me, yeah, a, a couple of real sort of players to watch out for. Yeah, there was, um, there was a one, player, one player for Rangers um, called Samir. I think it was Samir Sasse. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing um, the surname right. Um, but yeah, he was a real standout. He's one of the best uh, Guernsey talents I've seen, you know, in years, obviously. It's quite hard to tell how good someone will be, you know, at such a, at such a young age. But he looks a real talent. You know, he was quicker than everyone. His, his feet were, he looked, like he, was, um, he looked like he was a senior footballer with his, with his footwork and sort of skill. And he scored an amazing goal in the finals, uh, killed the top right corner in the first half. 
And yeah, I just really impressed. Most of the fans just looked amazed at how good he was for his age. Yeah, really, really impressed by him. Fantastic. Well, definitely a name to watch then there. Now, in a parallel universe, we'd be midway through the third uh, Guernsey Island Games right now. Hopefully, we would have had plenty of Sarnian medal success to enjoy already. Uh, probably, though, as we mentioned about the weather, for the best that the Games didn't happen because it wouldn't have been the best advert for Guernsey this week. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, I mean, Gareth, I know you're a, a Games veteran, certainly on the reporting side. Are you missing it this week yeah I think the island game is always such a massive highlight it's it's um uh, the home games is it's always so well supported i remember back in 2003 that just the crowds that would turn up i mean you'd see familiar faces from certain sports where they'd go and watch different sports and get uh, educated in those and it's just a great experience um and uh, it's perhaps a bit of a cliche but it really does become team guernsey when it's island games and everyone's so interested and now everyone else is getting on it's really great fun to be a part of and yes, yeah, a shame it's not happening, but we have got it to look forward to in two years' time, fortunately. So, um, yeah, hopefully everything will be ready for that. Yeah, definitely. Well, I've been speaking to the head of the IIGA, uh, Jorgen Pettersen, uh, to find out how the rest of the Island Games family are faring. He's a very popular figure, uh, always on the money with his motivational speeches at the opening ceremonies. Um, and when I spoke to him, he was out and about in the Orland archipelago, uh, his usual positive self. And I began by asking him what his emotions have been like. Like this week, knowing that he should have been here in Guernsey with us. No, it feels sad. Uh, obviously, uh, we would never have. Uh, we didn't want this pandemic. We didn't ask for it. But sometimes life comes with surprises that you need to deal with. And given the circumstances, I'm, I'm more proud of the way that the member islands have handled this so far, and especially Guernsey. Uh, for the Natwest International Island Games, because they have shown that that when when the reality doesn't fit up with the map, you need to change the map, and that's what uh, Guernsey have done. So Guernsey has has adjusted, and they have uh, come up with a new date in two years' time, and they are ready to go. And this is a solution that has been accepted and even uh, applauded by the member islands, because we all know how the reality is and that we need to to refocus and restart. Yeah, absolutely. And when you consider the situation as it is right now around the world, um, I guess there's no doubt then it was the right decision to delay the games and, and certainly when you took it. Certainly it was. Uh, we didn't know that when we took the decision, but we, we thought that it's better to be safe than sorry in this sense, because Although the pandemic would have been like treated earlier and even if the vaccine would have kicked in earlier, it still would have been very narrow for the islands to, to raise enough funds to prepare in practice because it hasn't been allowed to do that, what we've been used to over the years. So it's probably better to, to wait and do something really good than to like panic and come up with a a not so good solution and this 23 now it may feel like a long time today but it isn't waiting is only long in one direction and and when when we have 23 it will look like no time at all it'll come around very quickly i'm sure and i gather the iiga had another virtual agm at the weekend you're getting used to doing those um were you able to get a sense of of how the other islands are, are faring at the moment 
Yes, we did have uh, amongst uh, 50 participants from almost every one of the 23 member islands, and they're all more or less in the same position. Uh, sometimes they think that they got the pandemic under control, then they have new cases. Uh, some of them have uh, been very successful when it comes to the vaccine. Others are, are still working on it. But basically, I would say that our islands, apart from a few of them, have, have managed quite well during the pandemic. Firstly, because islands are sort of isolated. And if you can just keep the, the disease uh, uh, outside, you're, you're pretty safe and you can control your own inhabitants and population quite well. So I would say that the, the member islands have, have managed quite good altogether and, and also into following regulations and, and um, orders. And are you confident that come 2023 that all of the member islands will be able to not just send teams but send teams of the size that we've been used to over the last few games? I am pretty sure for that because we do if something the pandemic has has taught us so far is that we need each other is the, 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 the urge that we have to come together and to see and compete and to greet and to do all these things that we've been used to over the years. It's not the same to meet over a phone or over a Teams conference or whatever you have. You want to see people for real. I do think that uh, uh, the Northwest International Island Games, when we come back, will be even more important than it used to. Because we do need competition, we know that health is something vital for our communities and for ourselves, and that it has to, you have to, to do, you have to perform in order to, to, to get it. It doesn't come automatically, you have to work for it. And you know what it takes to, to put on a Games, of course. Um, what do you think is the biggest challenge facing the organisers of Guernsey 2023 now? Uh, to keep the fire burning, to to never stop, remind all the people in Guernsey what's about to come. Because to become, I think that was probably the, the most dangerous thing with the pandemic. Hence, everyone stays at home and don't do things if they're like lose their ambitions to try. If it could be at work, it could be at home, it could be in private, it could be in, in sport, in, in whatever. If you don't have the ambition to, to go forward, it's going to be a very boring life that we have. Uh, I do think that it's important for the Guernsey organizers to keep in mind and to include all the people of Guernsey to tell them what about to come. That this is not the end. This is, uh, this is not, not the new, new normal to stay home and to don't see any other people. When the Games will come to Guernsey, it will bring in the world again, which has happened before. Guernsey took the very first responsibility after the Games in Isle of Man in 1985, and they raised their hand. My dear friend Owen Lee Valley raised his hand and said, we're ready. And uh, uh, another dear friend, Stuart Falla, did that again in 2003, when they said that we want to take it to another level, which Guernsey did. Now it was Guernsey's turn for the third time, the first island who did that. And we were struck by a pandemic. 
but Guernsey is still standing, although it's challenging in many ways. Guernsey is there and they're saying, you are saying, we're ready, we're ready. Come when you are ready. And that will happen in two, in two years' time from now. What's your message to those, those athletes who, who would have been targeting 2021 and, and have now got two more years to, to, to kind of, as you say, keep that fire burning? Hang in there and never give up. And remember that tomorrow always come quicker than you think. Always. It will be the one who trains the hardest now and who shows the most endurance for the moment, who will stand at the top of the very medal table in two years' time. And you will then think back and you will gonna say to yourself, it was worth it. It was worth every inch, every early morning, every kilometer you run, every thing that you did, every weight, every weight that you lifted, it will be worth it. And two years, it's no time. Take it from someone who's been around for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and you might have seen, Jürgen, that, um, that Guernsey 400-meter runner Cameron Chalmers has been selected for the Olympics. Um, gold medal winner, of course, from, from Jersey 2015. Are there any other island games, stars from other islands that we should be keeping an eye out for in Tokyo? Loads of them. Loads of them. It's thousands on each and every island. There is nothing but stars on our member <laughs> islands, I have to remind you. <laughs> There are probably a few from Cayman and those who are competing under their own flags. Uh, I'm, I'm not fully updated on that because we have to remember that our mission, the International Island Games Association, is to develop sports within the islands. We are happy when someone reach the Olympics or the Commonwealth or wherever, but that's not our full purpose. Our purpose is to make sure that as many as possible do sports within the islands. In order to do that and to encourage the rest, it's good with role models. But again, it's the it's the the money, the more the merrier. That is our ethos. Oh, fantastic! And, and of course, we've got dates now for Orkney um, too in 2025. Um, just finally, are you as happy now, Jürgen, uh, as you can be about the roadmap for the games? You know, looking ahead over the next decade. Yes, we noticed that the the future host islands they have adjusted meaning that Orkney are prepared for 2025 and that Inismon are prepared for 2027. There are a different situation but both of these islands they have decided to see the pros of getting two more years in order to prepare instead of seeing the, the down the, the negative effects of the pandemic. And I think that's exactly how we as human beings should react on this one. We cannot moan about what has been because there is nothing we can do about it. But we can adjust and make sure that we use these years of so-called silence as good and as clever as ever possible. Uh, for the International Island Games Association's sake, meaning we are right now looking for more members. Uh, we are 23 member islands for the moment and we can be at the maximum 25. And we do think that the more members we are, the more we develop sports within the islands to bring in cultural and sporting diversity. That's something good. So we are discussing with a few different potential islands right now, which if that would become reality, will be a, a a discussion and a, and a, 
a discussion that will take place at the AGM in Guernsey next summer, 2022. IRL, as we say nowadays. <laughs> and that's exciting. So that would be with a view to, to perhaps introducing New Islands for Orkney, or is that sort of further ahead in time? Uh, the plan is that if that would become reality, that they could compete in Guernsey. Oh, wow. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> but that, uh, that, that's too early to say yet whether they will fulfill all the criteria and things. But the work has started and is in progress in order to be more in our family. Now oh, that's really exciting. Can you can you say anything more about where, you know, sort of what those islands look like, where they might be, kind of uh, sort of where they would fit into the, the family? No, it's a little bit too early yet to go in for names of them because we would like to have the discussion first, but they are, they are Mediterranean style. And we look forward to that because we, we are a family and a family constantly changes nowadays, but the basis there and the base is 25 islands and we i personally would uh, would I, I like the idea of, of having each and every place fulfilled i would like to say one more thing Tony, if that's possible we do are arranging the the iij 5k challenge this week and we are like 400 right now who have uh, downloaded the app race one which is dead easy to use and it's very very funny i've done it myself my time wasn't very good <laughs> uh, although I, I stopped and talked on my way to, to <laughs> but uh, we have a craig moore right now from orkney who has run his 5k in 1714 and that is brilliant that is very 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 good so i think that uh, uh, all the runners in guernsey should take this as a as a hint to to come back and and uh, see if they could beat this this time because we did have lee garland who, who you know very well he he ha he was at the top for a while but he's now been passed by by this craig moore so and it's not about winning that's not the the, the essential I, I i would say that it's important to go there so so I, I challenge, for example, you to go out and have a gun, have a, a, a try for it. Everyone can be an Island Games competitor this year. I will definitely take my chance. It's the, the closest I'll get, Jürgen. That's great. That's <laughs> great. Excellent. Thank you very much for this and a pleasure to talk with you as always. Always a pleasure. We look forward to seeing you, uh, seeing you on Guernsey soil next year. Take care. Welcome back to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast. That was the chairman of the International Island Games Association, Jorgen Pettersen, uh, speaking to me a little earlier on. Always great to hear from him. Now, it's been a tough Wimbledon for Heather Watson. While the bright young thing of British tennis, uh, Emma Raducanu, took the limelight, Heather bowed out in the first round of the singles to American lucky loser, uh, Christy Ann. Uh, Gareth, you watched this one, um, a, a pretty tough one to watch, I'd imagine. It was a what I call a typical Heather Watson match because it goes, went through three sets and it went about almost three hours. It might have even gone past three hours this time. Um, and yeah, it was such a shame for, for Heather to lose that one. I mean, I'd watched her um, a week or so previous in, in an Eastbourne tournament where she took the former uh, French Open winner to uh, three sets as well, I think. And she was superb that day. And I, I was really hopeful that she'd get a decent run at Wimbledon. And she seemed all 
she seemed ready to go, and I must admit, I'll, I'll put my hand up, I almost started tweeting the fact that she was just about to progress when she was 5-4 um, up in the final set, and of course, I attempted fate, and unfortunately, it didn't work out, so um, I, I have done that several times with Heather over the years, um, but yeah, it, it was a real shame that she went out and... Um, the thing you'd almost see it in her face when when the winning point was struck that she knew that it was a missed opportunity really uh, obviously a very disappointing result um it's quite remarkable that was her 11th Wimbledon um it's some uh yeah spell of longevity some effort to be yeah in the mix um you know in, in the sort of top 50 100 for so long um well Rob Batiste and I spoke to journalist Spencer Vignus um who's covered Wimbledon for many years and covered Heather's career uh, for us at the Guernsey Press for several years now too well Spencer another Wimbledon done um what should we think of Heather's performance in 2021 oh it, it wasn't a, a vintage Wimbledon for Heather unfortunately uh, I mean, she did make it through to the second week in one of her competitions, that being the, the women's doubles, but um, but only just because, you know, she went out on the Monday in the second week. And then uh, the women's single, she lost on day one on the Monday. And then she also, and this one I didn't see coming, actually, I didn't see either of her defeats coming in the first week. She lost in the first round of the, the mixed doubles with uh, Henri Continen of Finland. And I mean, Henri and Heather have been a, a kind of golden couple of Wimbledon for the last few years. Uh, they, they even won it. They actually won the, uh, the tournament in 2016, the mixed doubles, memorably. And they've reached the, uh, you know, they, they've reached the latter stages of that tournament for most of the times they've entered it. So for them to go out in the first round, didn't see that coming at all. So, yeah, a bit of a five out of ten Wimbledon, I think, for Heather compared to some of the previous ones. In terms of her career as a whole, um, where do you think she is now? Good question. Um, I mean, it's it's worth comparing Heather's career to Laura Robson. Laura won junior Wimbledon and was the golden girl of kind of British tennis. And Heather seemed to be in her shadow a little bit. And then Laura, I mean, developed injury problems more or less as soon as she stepped onto the kind of the main tour, the main adult tour. Um, and I mean, you know, she had to give up playing more or less kind of, you know, after about a year or two, she had injury problems. She just never got back, you know, she could never overcome. Whereas Heather, okay, Heather's never really challenged the kind of upper echelons of the, the women's game. You know, she's never got into the top 20. But on the other hand, to have done what she's done, you know, she's been pretty much between 50 and 100 for most of her time in terms of the rankings, um, the, the women's singles ranking for that 10 years. I mean, that takes some doing. That is quite something, you know, most players you'll find will drop, you know, kind of like down 100, 150 or, or even lower at some point and then maybe come back, uh, you know, depending on injury and things like that. You look what's happened to Andy Murray. Um, and no, so I, I, I think, yeah, you know, on the one hand you look at her and I mean, I always remember people in the early stages of her career saying, oh, she's got the potential to really challenge at the top. And she hasn't quite done that in singles. But then again, if you look at what she has done, she's still there after a decade. And I think that deserves a hell of a lot of praise, really. You've been speaking to her um, in the last 24 hours. Do you think she's got it in her to continue um, to want to stay there in that top 100? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think, um, well, not I think, I know now having spoken to her. We, we had quite a chat just about COVID in, in general and the last 
you know, year, year and a half, which, you know, has affected all of us, really. I mean, you know, whether you're involved in sport or not. And um, it has caused Heather to kind of reassess her life and, and what's important. Because, I mean, up until, you know, the last year, year and a half, she says, you know, tennis was the, her priority in life, full stop. And although she's not exactly come out and said, well, it's not anymore, you know, it has caused her to reassess her life and what she does after tennis. She's not sure what she's going to do when she uh, when she finishes. Um, uh, but, you know, it, 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 I think it's just caused her to kind of like, you know, reassess life a little bit. I mean, she'll be 30 later on this year. Uh, injury, you know, allowing. And as long as she stays fit, which she is, you know, she's got a good few years left in her, particularly playing doubles. And I mean, as she says, you know, she, she actually said to me yesterday, she said, you know, she would come back to Wimbledon and play in all the events she possibly could. She said, she even said, if, it, if, if she was allowed, she would enter the wheelchair tournament because <laughs> she just loves Wimbledon so much. And so I can see her certainly maybe if it gets to the point where, you know, maybe her singles ranking might slip, you know, as, as the sands of time kind of, you know, go through. I can see her still kind of coming back and playing in the doubles. I mean, she's the kind of person you'll have to take her out of here in a, in in a you know in a uh, in a coffin. I think basically because she just loves the place so much. So as long as she's fit, and as long as her ranking allows, I th I think she'll just keep on coming back. And obviously, this week or last week, it was a pretty demoralising first round exit in the end to a player that you know, you would have expected her to to get past and, and certainly the, the way it played out as well. You know, it was a, a late finish, dra dragged out and, and for her to be to be dumped out like that. I mean, what happened last Monday was in many ways, and I don't think she'll mind me saying this, it was almost typical Heather. You know, it was a three sets match and you've got everything. You've got one set of of amazing tennis. You've got another set where it's a little bit more toe-to-toe. -to -toe. And then you've got another set, final set in this case, where basically she was her own worst enemy. And she beat herself, as she, she admitted afterwards. She was her own worst enemy. And she just, you know, you know rather than Christiane, who uh, from the USA who beat her, rather than her doing, you know, spectacular tennis, Heather just contributed to a downfall as well. So it was a, it was a, a, a typical Heather, you know, seesaw game. And... I, I think, I mean, she was in a bad way after that, relatively speaking, you know, as Boris Becker once said, nobody died out there, you know, it's only a game, but, um, but, you know, she, um, she didn't sleep that night or she just said she didn't get to sleep till about five o'clock on Tuesday morning because they weren't, she wasn't out of Wimbledon until about midnight by the time, the, <clears throat> pardon me, by the time the match had finished and she'd uh, talked to the likes of me afterwards, you know, she, she didn't get out of Wimbledon till late. And another contributory factor, I think, to Wimbledon this year is that, you know, I mean, she's not alone here, is that it's been a very different setup for her and other players. You know, normally she stays with a kind of surrogate family, you know, in Wimbledon, just round the corner. And I mean, getting into, you know, the, the grounds in the morning is like a, a 10 or 15 minute walk. Um, this time she had to stay, you know, because of the bubbles that they've had there, she had to stay in a hotel with other players in Westminster. She said it's pretty much a, a day's travel, really, getting out from Westminster through the traffic to Wimbledon, doing all the things you've got to do about getting in, you know, the clearance and whatever and being tested and everything. 
And then even if you're not playing, even if she's just training, you train and then afterwards you've got to go back out. You've got to wait for the transport arrive. You know, you've got to get through the traffic back to Westminster again. You know, I mean, um, it's it's very easy, you know, those of us who don't live in London to to kind of forget what the traffic is like there. And I mean, she just didn't go into Wimbledon on the Tuesday after a singles defeat. She just couldn't face it, partly because of what had happened the day before. and She just needed time away. But also because you just think, well, do I really want to spend a day in traffic going all the way over to the other side of, of London just to kind of, you know, train when when I feel utterly demoralized? So it took her a couple of days, two or three days to get over that defeat. I mean, what she's saying now is that she's using it as kind of fuel to to drive her on, you know, the memory of that match. And, you know, you know, basically she's trying to use it as a motivational tool. So that in the future, she's just like, I never want to go back there again. Because, I mean, as she said, it was it was one of, if not the hardest defeats of her entire career. So I think she will fight back. Spencer, how, how, the emergence, sudden emergence, emergence of um, um, Emma Raducanu and also the progress of Harriet Dart. Will she be, will Heather be excited or perhaps disheartened that suddenly she's going to be, you know, with Joanna Conta as the established number one, that she may well be... Number four in the in the pecking before too long in terms of Britain. How do you think she'll react? I think um, I know. I, I I mean she's good mates with um, with Harriet. They played uh, doubles here this year and they've played doubles here before as well as well. Or no, rather not here, but they have played doubles before. So they're good friends. I mean I think there is a kind of you know what they say in football about there being a goalkeepers union, a kind of unofficial union, you know, between kind of people who play in that position. I think it's very much the same in 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 tennis. Uh, I mean, yeah, you get some people who really just don't get on, you know. But um, but by and large, you tend to find that if one person has success, it can kind of drive on the others and spur on the others, you know, because it's like you know, uh, if 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 one of your friends does well, you think, oh, that's good, and then you kind of up your own game a little bit. I mean, the only way I think it may affect her is in the future, you know. Say, for instance. Um, and we should bear in mind that Emma, of course, has only had, you know, she's still in the hundreds, basically, in terms of a ranking. She's had a great week, but she's got a long way to go. But I mean, if she does come up and Harriet does come up, then that might affect Heather in terms of getting picked for uh, Federation Cup, things like the Olympics, which is coming up. You know, her form pre-Wimbledon got her into that Olympic team. They'll be off in a couple of weeks to 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 Tokyo for that. I, I think if they were selecting that Olympic team post Wimbledon, she might not get in. But um, but yeah, so it's it's it, 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 it's a tough one. But I think it'll spur her on. I think you know they all get on pretty well. I don't think they know Emma so well because Emma's just come out of nowhere. She's been on the juniors for a long, long time, so she's a bit of an unknown quantity. But Harriet and her and the other players, yeah, they've been they've been mates for a long time. So I think it'll drive them on, spur them on together. Yeah, and Spencer, you mentioned the Olympics there. Um, yeah, clearly that's something that's really uh, driven Heather on, particularly you know, that motivation to, to represent Team GB. She's off to her third Olympics. What, what kind of mindset then does she head to Tokyo with? And, and you know, having spoken to her, obviously it's going to be a very different Olympics to, to the ones she's played at before. What kind of feeling has she got about, about how that might affect her? You're right. It is a strange one because, I mean, I actually, you know, I... I... I, at the risk of actually one of my questions, you know, sounded like one of those vacuous kind of silly 
sports journalist questions, which is, you know, are you looking forward to the Olympics? And I mean, you know, of course, everyone's going to look. But I actually said, I said, look, you know, all considering what we've been through, are you looking forward to the Olympics? Because, you know, it's a bit, it's a, it's a little bit into the unknown here. And she, she is, I mean, she's, you know, she played uh, for Team GB, you know, at London, and that was memorable. That was brilliant. Rio, she was there as well, although that wasn't so memorable. So this is her third Olympics now, which is quite something. Again, that's that's testimony to, you know, the longevity of her career, really. And she's really looking forward to representing Team GB. Yeah, but the thing is, of course, you know, you're going out to Tokyo. They're going to be playing matches in front of no crowds. And I mean, that that's not why you play tennis that's another thing she, she was saying yesterday i mean you know she said that basically you know it's like tennis without spectators is is just nothing i mean one of the lines she actually said is you know at the end of the day we are entertainers you're there to entertain people and when there's no one there she said well you may as well not be there you may as well you know her, her words but you may as well be at home training because you know if there's no one there it's almost like borderline what's the point I know point you know medals might be kind of at stake and ranking points might be at stake and everything but when there's no one there it just seems horribly empty so I don't really know what kind of Olympics lies in store for her and she doesn't know either until she actually gets out there and then comes back but it is going to be a weird you know a weird one I mean my own feeling and this is this isn't Heather's words I mean I just think if it wasn't for the fact that you know, you've got all these sponsorship deals in place and marketing deals and whatever. I don't think the Olympics would be happening. I think it's got to happen basically to satisfy the sponsors and things like that, because otherwise, you know, people would just owe shed loads of money to each other. I just think the, the you know, what's the sense in just sending everybody kind of like round to the other side of the world to compete in something where no one can see it? I think there may be 10,000 IOC officials suddenly appear in the... <laughs> In the in the stadium, yeah, I really don't know. I mean, eating you know, their prawn I'm, sandwiches. Yeah, <laughs> I think. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I really don't know. I mean, and it, it's quite funny because I mean, you know, it's, it's, Wimbledon dominates my kind of like working year. Really, my year tends to go kind of June to June rather than January to December, basically. So, and Heather's the same. She said she hasn't even thought about the Olympics really until Wimbledon. She wanted to get through Wimbledon, see what happened, take a couple of days off, which she's doing right now, and then concentrate on the Olympics. So, I mean, the one thing is hopefully she can just banish the memory of some some pretty miserable experiences at, at, at Wimbledon this year and just start afresh. And hopefully, you know, being part of, you know, because tennis is an individual sport um, until you get things like the Olympics where you're part of a team and you're all together. And I think they're going to be in a bubble. You know, because because they'll all be traveling out together and they'll be part of the team. Andy Murray's going as well. So, I mean, it's great to have him along. You know, what more of a talisman do you need to kind of, you know, inspire you than having him on your, on your team? So I'm hoping that she will kind of, you know, forget all about particularly that first game in the singles at Wimbledon and the whole experience will just kind of... Um, you know, inspire her a bit and she can put the fact that there's no crowds there behind her and just kind of go out and hopefully come back with a medal. Should be good. Let's hope so. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for your time, Spencer. Always a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Give my love to everybody over there. And uh, You'll have yeah, to get over yeah. one of these days.
Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. At some point, at some point, I will. Uh, yes, you, you've um, been a big Brighton fan. I, can, we can set up an interview with a, a sort of a female star, Maya Leticia. You've, Definitely, definitely, yes, yes, know all about her and everything like that. Yeah, I I grew up down in um, down in the southeast of England, so Brighton were my team. Most of my uh, you either where where I grew up, you either supported Brighton or you tended to go along the south coast to Southampton. Uh, Nobody tended to support Portsmouth. I don't know why. So many of my friends basically worship at the altar still of Matthew Letizier, so they're still kind of trapped in the past, basically. So. The Letizier name will, you know, is it will always mean a lot in the southeast of England, and it continues to for Brighton fans as well. So, yeah, definitely love to come on and talk about her in the future. Spencer Vignes speaking to Rob and I about Heather Watson there. Of course, we wish her all the best in Tokyo next month and a, a couple more Bailiwick stars to watch out for there as well. More to come on that. Uh, before we go, let's have a quick look at what's happening this weekend uh, and touch on our latest Top 100 series, which launched in the paper this week. Uh, Guernsey Cricket's Top 100 follows on from our football countdown, which has to be said was hugely popular and generated an awful lot of interest. Um, for this list, we'll be revealing the players in batches of five each day uh, up until we reach, I think, the top 25 when they'll be named one by one. Uh, Gareth, Rob has been putting this one together uh, with the help of local statistician John Mountford. Um, just talk us through it. How does it differ from the football list? Slightly different criteria used? Yeah, well, obviously in cricket, there's quite a lot of stats you can turn to. Um, I think when uh, Rob first approached John on the on the project and sort of asked him if he could perhaps come up with a foreman to do it, originally when it all came out, obviously all the arounders suddenly figured out came out on top because their runs and wickets all sort of um, uh, took them ahead of specialist batsmen or bowlers. So they um, they then through a series of meetings, I think Rob and John have come up with um, using some stats, but also um, different things like longevity. Um, uh, and also giving stuff back to cricket has, has helped people get up that table because you do see some players just sort of in, enjoy their career and then you never see them again. Others, like, I mean, John's perhaps the prime example. He came to Guernsey in the early 70s, was a great cricketer himself, became arguably our island's top umpire in his time. Uh, he scored umpteen interinsulars as well and he keeps the, the Guernsey Stats website up to date as well. So people like that, um, that helps their cause in this. But um, Having seen the the list or browsed it very quickly, unless Rob's changed it as he often does, <laughs> um, there are some uh, some very legendary names in Guernsey cricket to, to come over the the coming weeks. I'm sure it will be followed with uh, with as much interest as the, the football one. Um, yeah, there'll be there'll be people waiting to see names pop up as we go. I know there are I think four players who, who appear on both lists one of which we've already seen that's Neil Hunter. Yeah, Neil um, was one of our top 100 footballers, and um, he was. Um, in, he was on the first uh, reveal, I think, of the, the cricketers. Neil was a very aggressive batsman. He used to, um, as you can probably understand even from his football days, he's the sort of aggressive type. He used to win the, <laughs> he used to win the sixth cup every year for the amount of sixes he hit in the evening league. Um, but yeah, so um, he's, I think, yeah, I think Rob said there's four of his um, type who have been in, who will be in both lists. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. So keep an eye out for that um, in the paper over the next few weeks as the the summer progresses. One man who made it very close to the top of the football list, um, who may or may not feature, we'll wait and see in the cricket list, but who's still playing cricket is Jerv Brazier. And I know um, Harry that you went to speak to him this week. Yeah, I had a little chat with um, with Jerv yesterday. He told me some really interesting stories. Uh, a couple that come to mind, but I don't want to I don't want to reveal too much because they are in the article. But there was one about. 
him beating Hampshire up at, um, I can't think it was the Osmond, uh, the Osmond Prio pitch, something like that. And then another one which made me laugh, which was about him getting um, absolutely battered by Barry Richards, the South African great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a really good chat. He's still going uh, age 78, playing for St. Saviour's. Quite remarkable, considering yeah. he played in the Intrinsula in, what, 1968 and 72? He's still going to this day. That's absolutely phenomenal. Um, well, yeah, keep an eye out for, for that article as well. Um, that'll be in the, the paper in the coming days. Right, let's uh, have a quick look ahead at what's coming up over the next week and the weekend in particular. Uh, Jamie, sock to Jersey this weekend. Catches the eye for sure? Yes, we actually have a live in-person interinsular, which, to my knowledge, we haven't had in at least 16 months since the start of lockdown. The first, really. Um but yeah, it's the highlight of the Channel Islands rowing calendar and any normal year. Um, it will be slightly watered down this year in that due to landing restrictions, there'll be no after party afterwards or anything, obviously. But I think Guernsey crews will have to make quite a quick turnaround or else have to isolate. So effectively, we've only got seven Guernsey crews. We have about 18 Jersey crews by comparison. Um, the Interinsula Le Pedrin Trophy competition may be a little bit swung by that, but in any case, I'm sure the crews that are involved will be very enthusiastic and just very happy to get out there. Well, as you say, it's great to see uh, an Interinsula taking place properly or just about properly. Um, any of those Guernsey crews that are going to be gunning for records? Oh, yes. So we've actually got the Le Mont-Saint uh, women's squad who have been very impressive in local waters. They're getting a very fast boat designed by Wed Osmond. It's named Out of the Blue. Um, they norm it's so fast and light that they normally have to carry ballast in local races, but they can shed that for the race itself. Um, they'll be going for the women's record, which has been held for several years and was set by another very strong Guernsey crew. Um, we'll have a few other local store crews present and it should, yeah, it should be a great race. Yeah, terrific. Well, we'll look out for the coverage of that as well. All the best to the crews. Uh, Gareth, where are you going to be this weekend? Uh, I think I'm back out on Lancrest this weekend for the second round of Lancrest Golf Club Championship. Um, Jamie Blondel shot an absolutely brilliant 65 last week. I must admit, I, I sort of went out to take a few pictures and I, I said hello to him um, after he'd finished about 11 holes. And you, you can almost tell when one of the top golfers is going well because... They're, they're very um, polite, but they don't really get into a deep conversation. I thought, Jamie must be playing quite well here. And um, I was still quite surprised as he shot a 65. So um, he'll be looking to um, convert that into his second uh, club title. Yeah, terrific. OK, uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, do make sure to follow us uh, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. At GSY Press Sport is the place to go. Thanks very much, guys, uh, for joining us. Harry, for your debut. Good stuff. Yeah, thanks for having me. Loved we'll it. see you again. Um, yeah, have a good weekend. Cheers, Cheers Tony. Tony.